Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. Welcome to Metron Live Podcast, coming to you from beautiful, historic Midtown Atlanta. Metron people, would you please give the podcast people a please a good welcome? Hello, hello, hello. As always, thank you to Charles McFall, the Rock God of Podcasting. Also, I would uh, also like to uh, make you aware that Charles is also putting all of these on YouTube for us as well. I haven't, I don't think I've announced that enough, but. Uh, you know, we used to stream on YouTube, and now we just, because uh, m- I do so much streaming through Facebook, uh, he's been able to uh, do that and move it over to YouTube. So uh, we still have a, if, if, if you are interested in our YouTube channel, it's youtube.com slash bish in the now, and that will take you. And, and on that, we've got some of the um, uh, episodes of In the Now with Jim Swilly. I've got some classic vintage Church in the Now stuff on there. Uh, I've got some one-on-ones. There's a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff on there. Um, my title this morning is. Uh, oh, did I give you a title? Oh, I didn't. I had a really good title in my head. I thought I. <laughs> I was going to call this "Real People Experiencing the Real Christmas in the Real World." My bad. I could have sworn I. I was trying to remember everything I meant to, to uh, tell you, Michelle. Um, what I want to talk about today uh, is, um, is out of uh, John chapter 1 to begin with. And um, I'm going to read it to you from Gospels in the Now, available at Jim Sooley Books and at Amazon.com. Uh, Somebody asked me the other day, they said, when are you, you going to write another book? I said, when I move some of the inventory that I already have, we'll, uh, we'll get right on that. But um, uh, before I read this, show you this passage in, in my paraphrase of it, uh, just to give you a little context, a little backstory of the four Gospels that we have. You know, originally there were 300 Gospels and the... Uh, Council of Nicaea winnowed it down to f- the four that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, <clears throat> of the, the three synoptic Gospels and John, we only have the story of the, the nativity in two of them. One is in Matthew. Matthew is the one that gives the, the lineage of Jesus, uh, and then um, it tells the story of the Magi, the diviners from Persia who followed the star. And then Mark... Mark's narrative takes up when Jesus was an adult. Mark just sort of bypasses Jesus' birth and youth. And then Luke uh, has probably the most uh, Christmas stuff in it. Luke's uh, all about uh, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. If you ever watched Charlie Brown Christmas, that's the passage that Linus comes out and quotes and says that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And uh, in Luke's account... Um, we have the story of the shepherds. Uh, and, and we really have the, in Luke's account, we have the evangel because the shepherds um, uh, basically say what the gospel is. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. It's a message of universal salvation, basically, is what it is. Uh, John is like on a whole other wavelength. That's why we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the synoptics. And then John is a whole other thing. And John never bothers with a nativity. John starts all, all the way back into the eternal past, into, the, into eternity. And he begins chapter 1, verse 1, with in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. And then if you... Fast forward down to verse 14, and this is what I want to focus on. And I want to, I, I'm going to ask you to try to hear this verse like you've never heard it before, because I'm going to teach it in a way I've never taught it before, okay? So I just speak new ears uh, to you and new perception. Um, but in verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
Let me show you, this is John 1.14 in the Gospels in the Now. Um, and uh, and my, I've got seven points I want to share with you. And the, the first point is the Word became flesh, the Word became you. This really, I, I, I want you to understand this. Um, in Gospels in the Now, it says, in the eternal Word, morphed into flesh into a manifested incarnation with human attributes and authority in the natural world so that he could live with and among us human beings. And he did live with us here in our world, limiting himself to the constraints of the human condition without reservation, but we could still plainly see his eternal divine glory. It was obvious that he did shine with the glorious light of a unique firstborn son who was miraculously like his father who had sent him. Uh, the illumination from that glory revealed that he was literally filled with grace and that he overflowed with absolute truth. Now, the reason I want to point out that, because I'm, I'm going to show you seven definitions of what it means to say the word became flesh. When we say the word became flesh, that's, you know, we've been so desensitized uh, that you can hear that phrase and not be, you know, startled by it. Because he doesn't say the word um, was housed in flesh. He says the word became flesh. All right, Bishop, yeah, we know. We've heard you say that a million times. No, I want you to hear this with new ears. I've been saying this for some time, um, that the whole point of the cross of Jesus coming to the earth, dying on the cross, being wounded for our transgressions, was not about appeasing an angry sky god. It was about revealing to us who we were and always had been. Um, I have very carefully used the word placebo, and not everybody is comfortable with that word. I've had some pushback on it. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. When I say placebo, I'm not talking about uh, the kind of placebo that, that doctors use to deceive patients. What I'm talking about is, if you've ever read Dr. Dispenza's book, the, You Are the Placebo, he talks about, and this is very tricky territory because I'm not saying that all sickness is psychosomatic. What I am saying is he gives, uh, like, like for instance, he gives a story about a man who was misdiagnosed with cancer and immediately began manifesting the um, symptoms of cancer. And once he got the right diagnosis, the, the symptoms went away. Now, I'm not saying cancer is not real. Please, please hear me with mature ears. Clearly, it's real. Believe me. I've been in enough ICU units and cancer units. I mean, I'm, I'm very aware of the reality of the disease. What I'm saying is, however, if you read after some of these guys, like Dr. Bruce Lipton, some, some of these people who talk about how um, the brain really does affect the body. And that's fascinating. I mean, it, it's, you know, even when some of these doctors talk about uh, they're not exactly sure why we age because your, your, the cells in your body are constantly renewing. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of a mystery in the scientific wor world. What is it then? that causes us to age? I mean, is it because we've been told that? I mean, I, I, I don't know. And I understand this is, this is, you know, there's a part of us, like what you were saying about aging, you're just like, Shh, I'm getting old, leave me alone. You know, <laughs> I'm happy with it. Don't, please don't tell me. Like when people say, wouldn't you like to go back and be young again? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I'm, I'm, there, there's, a, there's a couple of things about being my age that's, you know, yes, it's, it's a challenge. But I'm, whatever age I'm at, I'm, I'm happy uh, with that age. Um, I will say this, though. I don't think aging always has to be the negative connotation that I think too many of us have just embraced to say, well, you know, when you get old, you're going to be crippled and lose your mind and all that. I, I don't think that has to be the reality, okay? And I'm not in, believe me, I'm not in denial of aging. Um, on Facebook, they're doing this, uh, uh, they keep showing this Linza uh, artificial intelligence that creates avatars of your picture. 
and uh, it's an it's an app you can download. I'm I'm <clears throat> leery of those things because they can sometimes uh, track your information. But this is a, an actual um, uh, app that you download, and you you put some of your pictures on there, and it it sort of creates um, it just creates these images of you. <clears throat> I posted some of them this morning. Oh, you've already got them up there, and. Uh, some of them are hysterical. Some of them I look like Zach Galifianakis on, like a very, an extremely gay. I have nothing against gay people, but an extremely gay Zach Galifianakis. Uh, but, yeah, that one, I guess I'm Jesus in that one. I'm an astronaut in that one. Thanks for, I didn't know you had those, Michelle. But, uh, yeah, that one's all right. I, I, I can dig that one. But, um, but the point is, you know, it's, a, it's an idealized um, version of you i mean would would to god my hair was that thick you know so uh i just thought that was kind of interesting i don't know why it just uh seemed to uh that one i kind of like i'm i'm hypnotizing you but anyway but the point is is it basic i mean you could tell it's supposed to be you but it takes your it kind of takes your fe- features and idealizes them and what if, if you get, I'm, I'm not making anything off this app, but I'm just telling you, you can get as many as 100 done. Some of mine were hysterical. You go through and you delete, you winnow them down until you find about 10 you can live with. And I thought, well, that's cool. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see an idealized version of, you know, remember what you looked like when you were younger and uh, when, you know, when you, uh, didn't have to work so hard, to, you know, to try to create what you create now. Remember, there was a time you could just roll out of bed and like, this is it, you know, and it was good enough. But, now, but you know, now you got to set that alarm a little earlier because it's uh, not only you might move, move a little slower, but also there's a, a, a little more work you have to do. And that's fine. We all know what we're talking about. Anyway, um, when I talk, when I say the, the cross is a placebo. I'm not, I'm not disrespecting the cross. I'm saying that I, I do believe in the virgin birth. I believe there was something very supernatural about Jesus coming to the earth. Uh, I don't believe that he came to die. I think the, the death part was plan B because he said, if there's any way, let this cut pass from me. He said when he was teaching, now you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you, he said, now the God of this world is cast down. Um, and when I, you know, when I look at all these different verses of Scripture, like back in Genesis 3 when the Creator says to Adam, who told you you were naked? The implication there is Adam's nakedness was a perception of unrighteousness. Okay? Um, and t- to further make my point, in the rest of the story there in Genesis 3, it says that the Creator killed animals and clothed Adam and Eve with animal skins. Now, we, there's not one of us that believes that the, them wearing a pelt of some animal was going to make them righteous, right? That's why I use the word placebo. It made them perce- self-perception that they were righteous. That's why Paul comes along uh, to the Romans and he says, with the heart, Man believes under righteousness. It's not what Jesus has done. It's what man believes. And the, what Jesus did on the cross was a catalyst to make man believe what he had always been. Y'all still with me? Even uh, to, to just for good measure, let me throw in another uh, confirmation. You know, uh, when Moses was in the wilderness and the fiery serpents bit the people and people started dying. And uh, Moses put the, the brazen serpent up on a pole. And uh, God said, whoever looks at this serpent will be healed of the snake bite. Uh, now, there's not one of us that believes there was magical power in the brass serpent. Where was the power? The power was in the perception of the people who believed they would be healed. Hence the word placebo. If you have a problem with it, you don't have to keep messaging me about it. You've made your point. I'm just, say, I'm just trying to explain to you why I use that. Um, why I use that vernacular. I'm using it in the most positive sense. And I'm in no way demeaning the atonement. If anything, it makes me love and admire Jesus even more because Jesus works through a system that believed in blood sacrifice. But I don't, I believe, 
I don't want to believe in a God that can only stomach me through the atonement and the blood of Jesus. That, to me, does not smack of a God who is described as love. That doesn't, honestly, that doesn't seem like uh, unconditional love to me. Unconditional love is I love you just because you're my creation. And there's nothing you could do. Nothing can separate you from uh, the love of God. So, what's that got to do with the word became flesh? All right. When I say the word became flesh, the word became you, this is, this is what I want you to hear that you might not have heard in previous Christmas messages. Jesus didn't make his incarnation all about him. He made it about you. You say, well, that's, that's not that earth-shaking. Well, just hear me out on this. I'm not saying it's not right to worship Jesus. I've read, you know, Paul tells the Philippians, you know, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. I'm aware of that. I've read the book of Revelation and in John's vision of Revelation, he sees a lot of worship and angels are bowing down and four and 20 elders. So I'm very aware of that. In the Gospels, however, Jesus nearly seems self-deprecating. You know, they came to Jesus and they said, called him good. And he says, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. They try to make him king. He disappears. Uh, he goes to wash uh, Peter's feet. And Peter says, no, that's, this, is, this is inappropriate. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part of me. So, so we have this idea that Jesus came here to say, you better recognize. And it's, it's frankly just the opposite. Uh, as soon as he starts getting a foothold of, of power, he says, it's necessary that I go away. So, and I know I'm on these themes all the time, but I, this is what I want to get across to you. Christmas is not about Jesus. It's about you. It's about you just like you are. Um, I was reading something that Eddie wrote this week. He doesn't even know because I, I didn't comment on it, I don't think. But in his, cause he, he kind of, just about every day he writes a stream of consciousness. Uh, I guess you call it meditation. And um, in one of them, I don't remember what day it was this week, one of them he said that a woman had said to him, and correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth, a woman had said to him, you either did something or said something. You said she said that's not very Christ-like. Is that was that like you? Yeah, she said I don't know what the situation was, but she said you're not a Christian. You're certainly not Christ-like. To which he responded, "I'm not trying to be Christ-like. I'm trying to be like myself." Now, I thought that was kind of an amazing response because I've been I've been jerked around with that you're not Christian thing my whole life. That's been the you know, that's been the manipulation card that people have used. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but somebody will really tick you off and, and you know, get a reaction out of you. And then they go, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. I mean, I used to hate when people would do that. And it reminded me of a story. I don't think Jonah enjoys me telling anecdotes from his childhood, but I'm going to tell this one more time. When he was uh, little, I don't remember how old, uh, he had decided to get baptized because I had baptized Judah. I've told you this before. Um, on the way to the service, Jonas, I don't know, you were probably five maybe, I'm thinking. Uh, he says, well, what do I have to do? And I said, well, you just, um, you know, you'll stand in the water and I'll have you say why you want to be baptized. And uh, he said, well, I don't want to say anything. I said, well, it's, it's not, no big deal. You have to just to say, I want to be like Jesus. And he said, I don't want to be like Jesus. <laughs> and I said, um, Maybe we better wait on this because I'm not sure I'm not sure you fully grasped the meaning of what it means to be baptized, to be a disciple. This is why daddy has a job is I, I you know, people want to be like Jesus and I help facilitate that. That's why, you know, that's why daddy gets paid for. Um, and, it, and sometime later he did he did get baptized. But it was interesting. I thought of that when you said that. This, now, I'm very there's look, I'm not saying I know everything about in the uh, in the Bible, but there's hardly any verse of Scripture you could throw at me that I'm not familiar with, okay? So I know Paul talked about being conformed to his image. I know the whole thing about he's the chief cornerstone. I know all of those things. I know when Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. 
I'm not, however, sure. Well, two things. I'm not sure that following Jesus means trying to be exactly like Jesus. And I think that's an interesting freedom to give yourself because that's something that we've imposed on ourselves so much. We used to sing the song, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, that's all I ask, to be like him. So that was, you know, that was kind of our concept. This is what it, that's what Christianity is. I'm trying to, I'm knocking myself trying to be like Jesus. And then I used to always teach that I don't think a, an individual can be like Jesus. I think it's the body of Christ that's like Jesus and that each one of us has some attribute that you would say is Christ-like. That's why the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Are you all still with me? Exactly. And that's why it was such a simple thing that he wrote, but it's like, have you ever just read something and you're like, oh, wow, what, that just made me feel really free when he said that. It was something very liberating about when somebody tries to play the religious card and say, you're not even Christ-like, and to say, I'm not even trying to be. I'm trying to be like me. I'm like, what the what? I mean, that was, that was just very empowering. So when I say the Word became flesh, the Word became you. I want you to understand that you're awesome just like you are. Well, I thought Christmas was about the baby born in a manger. It's, yes, it is. That's part of it. Jesus is not the only reason for the season. The pagans celebrated Christmas. They, they called it something else, but it was celebrated for, for centuries. That's why even when he's saying, let it snow today, it's because it came out of the winter solstice. And, uh, you know, the Catholic Church Christianized all of the pagan holidays. But hold that thought and let me show you the rest of the, these things. Most of these are lyrics from Christmas songs. All right. Y'all still with me? This is from uh, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, written by Charles Wesley. He came out of the Methodist Church uh, in 1739. I'm not going to show you the whole song, but I want to show you uh, a little stanza in here. My second point is... The Word became flesh. The Word became identification with your personal humanity. All right? You got it? This is what it's, uh, it's um, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to appear, Jesus our Emmanuel here. And if you if you read um, the lyrics past 1961, most of the modern hymn books have have changed that archaic 1700 lingo. And it, now you'll usually hear it's, it will say. Um, um, pleased as men with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us, okay? The Word became flesh. The Word became who? The Word became you. Everybody say, the Word became me. Why is that important? Because you've had a lifetime of people telling you what was wrong with you. Preachers have stood up in pulpits. Society has told you. Um, you've been told you're the wrong color, you're the wrong uh, race, you're the wrong sexual orientation, you're the wrong this, you're the wrong that, you, you, you didn't have enough education. The, the, here's the things that uh, are, are wrong with you, okay? So the Word becomes flesh, and the Word says, no, I want to be just like you. And when he says, I love this because it says, Pleased as man with men, and I know ancient texts are written by men to men, but you get the point. Ple pleased as man with men to appear. In other words, um, it wasn't like it grossed Jesus out to be with human beings. It wasn't like he, shocked, he was shocked by the human experience. Hebrews 4 says he was tempted in all points like, a, uh, uh, like as we are yet without sin. Tempted in all points. Can I... May I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've had my do, fair share of uh, temptation, but I, I guarantee you I've not been tempted in all points. I promise you. You know, you know how temptation works. It's, it's your, usually your three or four 
little pet weaknesses, whatever they are. Uh, if I told you, hey, listen, I'm just going to tell you, I'm, you name it, I'm tempted with it. There's nothing you can think of. There's nothing bizarre or perverse or shocking or exotic enough that if you ran it by me, I'd be like, yeah, I deal with that one all the time. Can you imagine if somebody told you you're tempted on all points? You'd be like, dude, don't ever, you know, like, don't ever be alone with that guy. You know, that's, you know, there's, there's your top two or three list of temptations everybody can, you know, kind of uh, relate to seven deadly sins, whatever you want to call them. Tempted in all points. I'm like, Jesus, I don't believe I'd have told that. That's kind of extreme. But the point is, Jesus became so human that there's no pretense in him about your humanity. You know, um, uh, I've, I, it's always been interesting to me to hear p- different people sort of create a type of, of righteousness. Like I've, I've ministered to drug addicts before who said, look, I popped a lot of pills, I snorted cocaine, but I never put a needle in my arm. As if, you know, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as some of the people I know. Or, you know, you get the idea. There's always some justification. Yeah, I'm, I'm bad, but I wasn't like that guy. You should have seen some of the people I grew up with. They, now, they were bad. Yeah, I mean, I shot a couple of guys, but I never, I never murdered a guy. Or I murdered a guy, but I never, you know, buried his body. and I never threw him in the... You know, there's always something that says, I'm not as bad as that person. Jesus is like, yeah, I'm bad as all of them. Tempted in all points. Nothing you could tell Jesus that he'd be like, all right, this is just between you and me, but I totally get it. Oh, is that too? Okay. Um, I remember, I'm sure I've told you this before, but when I used to do, I, I, when I used to put on a suit and tie and go in the office every day, which I did all of my adult life, um, I would, I'd put all my counseling appointments on one day. And so in back-to-back counseling appointments, you would hear, I mean, like, my 10 o'clock appointment would be telling me stuff that I'd be like, I'm trying not to act shocked, but I'm like, holy, I mean, like, oh, my, should I call the cops? Like, you know, I'm a, I know I'm clergy. I'm not supposed to tell on you, but I think three of the things you just mentioned, I'm pretty sure are illegal in this state. You know, like, oh, my God. And then your 2 o'clock would come in and say, Bishop, I've got to tell you something. Like, uh, okay, if you feel like you need to. Yeah. I went to the bakery the other day and I got a chocolate cake. and I just ate the whole thing. The whole thing. I ate the whole chocolate cake. I'm, I'm not making fun of it, but I mean, I, I remember somebody like weeping profusely and I'm like, and... and you know, like, I just can't believe this is gluttony. And they're, like, really, really upset about it. And I want to go, oh, sweetie, you should have heard my 10 o'clock. Like, go eat your cake. I mean, it's like, it's it's fine. And you'd have to m- meet everybody where they are. Like, to this person, apparently, you know, it was a big deal. Maybe they had sworn off sugar. and it was. But that's not that shocking. I mean, I, I can tell most of you are like, yeah, what, was the, what, was the, what was the problem? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, but the point is, is everybody has a different perception of what they think is wrong. I'm not making light of addiction or anything like that. I'm saying even if you have a problem, a proclivity, an addiction, whatever, yes, work on it. Yes, work on becoming the best version of you. But it does not in any way mean you're not just as valid a human being. The word became you in all of your idiosyncrasies, all of your everything. Y'all with me? All right. Third one, this is, um, this is from O Holy Night by uh, Adolf Adam, 1847. I love this one line. Well, my point is, the word became flesh. The word became your self-esteem and sense of self-awareness. I love this one line where it says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining 
till he appeared. And then it says, and the soul felt its worth. It doesn't say till he appeared and everybody realized they must worship him. The, the writer here says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The soul felt its worth. May I suggest to you that most of the people who are incarcerated today, most of the people who are in certain very unfortunate circumstances, so many of them have found themselves in a place because their soul has not felt its worth yet. That's why even in this country, we've got to, something's got to change with the penal system in this country because people aren't being rehabilitated. They're, they're being punished and recidivism and, uh, and made worse uh, because every time you get put back in, you spiral downward. Um, I remember um, back when we used to have the uh, street jam in, at Church in the Now that would go into the housing authorities. And I remember uh, when Scott Pettit was in charge of it, he told me one time that, because, I mean, these, these kids were, these were tough kids. I mean, they, some of these housing authorities, you couldn't even live there if there was a man in, in, the, in the family. It's like they were, they were only for single moms. And some of these young boys were, I mean, they were, let's just say, they were a challenge. For Scott, they were. And um, definitely challenged male authority. Many of them had not ever had to deal with it. You know, who is this guy coming in and bossing us around? And, and, you know, some of them were as big as he was, and they could be threatening and that sort of thing. And I asked him one time, I said, what, what do you do? And he said, if, if, a, if a kid is persistently a problem, I put him on staff. He said, I, I, I give him a T-shirt. I include them in passing out the stuff. And, and actually... Uh, kind of mentoring the other kids and he said it immediately changes their behavior once their self-perception has changed where they're not automatically fitting into a profile that says this kid's a problem let me go ahead and and you know treat him that way when he said when I change the way that they're perceived suddenly they took on leadership roles he said it's the most amazing thing to see um, how quickly a kid's uh, behavior would change when his self-perception changed or when his soul felt its worth. The fourth one, this is from, uh, I didn't know Jonah was going to sing this today. This is from The Little Drummer Boy uh, by Catherine Kennicott Davis, written in 1941. My point is, the word became flesh, the word became your personal gifts, talents, and abilities. And the my, the, my favorite part of this song, it says, uh, Little baby, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, I am a poor boy too, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, I have no gift to bring, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, that's fit to give our king, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, rum-pa-pum-pum, rum-pa-pum-pum, and then he says, shall I play for you, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum, on my drum, and she it says, Mary nodded, the ox and lamb kept time, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Before I read the rest of this, let me, I've taught on this many times before, let me remind you that when all you have is your talent, your ability, um, that's the most vulnerable you can make yourself. When, you know, because the, the story is that this, the implication is this kid is with the Magi who's bringing gold, frankincense, myrrh. They're high rollers. They've got the real big, impressive gifts. They're the platinum membership. And all he's got is this ability to play a drum. So to say, that's a, that's a very uh, tricky question when you say, shall I play for you? Because what you're saying is, this is all I have. All I have is me. All I have is my ability. Is that valuable? I mean, do I say that and somebody goes, really? That's your, that's your gift? Where's the gold? Where's the frankincense? Where's the myrrh? Hey, kid, you know, these people are given some impressive gifts. Don't, you know, unless you can hang with the big dogs, don't come in here 
and, and try to offer your, your little talent. And the fact that he says, that it says, um, uh, where did the rest of that go? Uh, move it back one. Um, uh, no, there was one where it says, talks about Mary responding to him. Oh, uh, Mary nodded, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. The ox and lamb kept time, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I played my drum for him, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I played my best for him, pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. And then the, the big payoff of the song is, uh, then he smiled at me. Meaning, your ability is valid, it's a gift, it's received, it's awesome, uh, it, it's a wonderful thing. You know, the, um, Jesus told a story about a woman that uh, just, it's called the widow's mites, and it was like she just had a, you know, a couple of pennies. And this is back in the temple when people made a big deal about giving, and they would they'd actually announce their gift. I'm giving this many shekels, whatever. And this little woman comes in and gives her very, you know, embarrassing little gift. And Jesus says, well, she actually gave the greatest gift because she gave everything that she had. These other guys, you know, wouldn't even miss what they gave. But with her, it was her everything. And that's why I know I always say this to you, but sometimes people will say, uh, Bishop, I wanted to give you something, but, I, you know, oh, I got a 20. I want to give you a 20. I'm like, what are you talking about? $20? Heck yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, it's not going to pay my mortgage, but I can go through the drive through at McDonald's with a little leftover, and it's 20 bucks I didn't have before. Like, don't ever apologize for your gift when people say i wish it could be more i'm like well it's great whatever it is and but especially when you realize the word became your talent your talent is valid there's nothing worse than somebody getting inside your head and making you doubt your own abilities making you think yours isn't good enough stop comparing yourself to anybody else your what you do is important, it's valid, it's real, it makes a difference. It doesn't have to be defended. It doesn't have to be compared with anybody else. The word became you. The word became your talent. The word became your ability. Uh, the next one, this is from Rudolph, and I've talked about this for years. I'm the only person I've ever met that has taught on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but it was written by Robert L. May in 1939. Um, and my point on this is the word became flesh. The word became your perceived flaws and idiosyncrasies. You know the story about how um, Rudolph has something about him that marginalizes him. It's not mainstream. Um, and, and because of that, the other um, reindeer used to laugh, call him names. You know, I know it's a kid song, but it's something that I think Anybody who ever dealt with the tyranny on a playground as a kid can probably relate to what, that, what that's like. You might not have had a red nose, but maybe you weren't the ideal weight or you weren't the ideal ability to play sports. Maybe you were the last one that got chosen. Um, and so I think everybody can relate to somebody somewhere laughing at you, ostracizing you, shutting you out, and um, so it says, you know, the rest, I'm not going to go through, but you're familiar with the story. Then one foggy Christmas Eve, Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose. <laughs> Can I say it this way? The word became your nose. The word became your red nose. The word became your ridiculous, laughable red nose. The word became the red nose that alienated you from the rest of the group. Have I made my point? And the, the effort that you spend in your entire life trying to get rid of the red nose or hide the red nose or assimilate to be more like the noses of the other reindeer. I mean, I'm speaking in metaphor here, but you understand what I'm saying. All of that effort is pointless. Because what you thought was wrong with you is actually what's absolutely right with you. And I don't know if when this guy wrote this song, Robert May, I don't, I don't know if he was thinking of it that deeply, but to me it strikes me every time I, every time I uh, 
hear these lyrics because the the very thing that he thought was wrong with him was the thing that was needed on the foggy uh, Christmas Eve. With your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And then the rest of the song is then. Yeah, now the other reindeer loved him. Like, whatever, dudes. You know, where were you when you were laughing at my red nose? But you think about, you think about the people who became famous movie stars or famous sports figures or uh, famous rock and roll musicians, famous pop stars. There's so many of them, uh, if you read their story, I mean, it, like if you've ever read the backstory of the Beatles trying to get a, um, a record deal, you can't believe the stuff that they were told. And uh, I remember um, my, my dad talking to Urias Lefevre one time. That's a name that some of you will not know, but the Lefevres were a very famous uh, Southern Gospel group. The, their son, uh, Mylon Lefevre, wrote the song Without Him that Elvis recorded. And back in the day, back in the 50s, the uh, gospel music, what it used to be called the, um, it's over there, the, the campus of Georgia State, uh, used to be called the Municipal Auditorium. It's before they built, you all remember, before they built the Civic Center. But that's where you used to go, the Municipal Auditorium on whatever street that is, right, right down the street from the Capitol. Might be Capitol Avenue. Um, and Southern Gospel used to have all-night sings. The Rambos used to do that. That was, that was a thing. Uh, you would go to these all-night sings, and they would literally, these gospel quartets would sing all night long. And the, the Lefevers were always on the bill for those things. And Urias told my dad that this, this would have been like in the early 50s before, I think even before the Sun recordings that Elvis did. He said, I can't tell you how many times Elvis would show up backstage at the Municipal Auditorium in Atlanta asking to play with the Lefevers. And he said, if I had a nickel for every time I looked at him and said, son, you do not have talent. You cannot play with us. These men that are on this stage are actual musicians. Whatever this is that you do, nobody wants to see that. He said, I, I can't tell you how many times I kicked Elvis out from backstage because he said, you can't play. Go take some guitar lessons and come back. But you, he, And he said, then one day I turned on Ed Sullivan and he's on there and people are screaming and I'm like, what the what? You know, that, that, that kid doesn't have any talent. I don't know, have you all ever heard of Elvis Presley? He did all right. Um, and in his own way, he was true to the thing that he did that made him completely unique and also made him controversial. I mean, you know, back in the 50s, uh, preachers used to preach against Elvis. You know, that was considered very sinful. Like, you don't, you know, that was, he was like a sexual deviant. And in the 60s, uh, they would have uh, burning parties for Beatles records. Because they, you know, they had long hair, like the Bible says, not men shouldn't have long hair and that sort of thing. And you look at so many of these people who refuse to get a nose fixed or refuse to get their teeth fixed or refuse this or that, who that became the thing that set them apart, that made them special and unique, and you always remember them, right? And then, um, <laughs> This is uh, from Mariah Carey song, 1994. All I want from Christmas is you. Here's my point. The word became flesh. The word became your personal relationships. Let me explain. Let me show you the lyrics. Uh, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. What's that got to do with the word being made flesh? Because God has revealed himself, herself, itself to you through the relationships in your life. Have you ever had somebody do something loving for you or something that you could tell that they really got you or understood you? And it was just this moment where you, you thought, you just showed me God. I just, thought, I just saw God. Um, in the, the last scene of um, Les Miserables, the, the Broadway version of it. Um, and 
Remember the truth that once was spoken. To love another person is to see the face of God. It's a beautiful song. And it, it is true. How can you say you love your uh, God who you haven't seen if you don't love your neighbor who you have seen? Uh, there's, a, there's a line. I don't know if I'm going to make the kids sit through uh, It's a Wonderful Life this year. We usually, I, I usually force them to watch it every year. Like, now you, I do fast forward through a lot of it, but I, I make them. And I constantly pause it and explain stuff. Then I'm like, I'm sure, I know you don't want to hear this, but I have to tell you this or my, my head will explode. And uh, unless they're just lying, they say they don't care, but they, they, they keep showing up for it year after year. I haven't decided if I'm going to do it this year or not. But the, but the one line that always gets me the most, because I always, I'm like Pavlov's dogs now. Like, it, you know, as soon as it comes on, I start getting weepy. I'm like, I haven't even started yet. Uh, but there's, a, there's a, a line after George Bailey has, you know, had the visitation from Clarence the Angel and, he has seen what the world would be like without him. Y'all familiar with the story? He's seen what the world would be like without him. And it's horrible. And, and uh, Pottersville is a horrible version of Bedford Falls. And then it shows him back on the bridge where he had originally planned to commit suicide, right? And uh, the, the, the uh, actor is Ward Bond, who plays Bert the cop. And he comes driving up. Again, it shows you this because you'd seen this happen earlier in the movie, okay? And he, and he uh, Bert gets out of the car and he says, George, where you been? We're looking for you. And he, see, I'm going to get emotional just thinking about it. Jimmy Stewart's character, he says, step back, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Because he'd already, like, punched him once. And all of a sudden he stops in, in mid-thrust and he goes, do you know me? Bert, do you know me? And it's the, it's the way that he says it when he grabs him and he says, do you know me? It's like such a, um, a deep, uh, is visceral the word? A, a deep, um, uh, primal need to be known. For, for somebody to, to actually see you and get you. And you go through your life with so few people that ever come close to it. Like sometimes people will say something to you or they'll give you a gift or, or respond to you a certain way and you think, God, you just have no idea. You have no idea who I am. And then then somebody somewhere will, they'll hit it. If you ever find people in your life that get you, I, you know who you, it is for me, I know we've got a smaller crowd today, but it's for me. It's in. I mean, of course, it's Ken. Of course, it's my kids. Of course, uh, but it. But for a lot of it, it's it's you guys, because I know you. Y'all don't live in this neighborhood. Uh, the, the only reason you got your car and drove to Midtown Atlanta today is because this is where I said I wanted to have service, which means you know me, because there's no point in you saying, Bishop. There's there's a little country church out there in the woods somewhere because you know not to even mention that because you know i'm right where i want to be well you only had a handful of people i don't care it's a handful of people that knew who i was because i've had a lot of people know me supposedly but then within that group is a remnant of people like oh you actually know me and it's the most valuable thing in the world. So when I say the Word became flesh, the Word became your personal relationship. And then finally, this is also from, uh, I have, who knows what will ever happen with it. The only thing that's been published is Gospels in the Now. But I have done, I've done some of, I think I've done Acts 2. I've, I've you know, at this, at this rate, I will be 150 when I finish it. But, uh, but I did do Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. Uh, my point is the Word became flesh. The Word became your personal community. And it's, this is where it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. In Bible in the now, I wrote, For unto us, not unto me, not unto you, but unto us, the collective corporate community of mankind, the household of humanity, unto all of us, 
a child is born. Unto us, the global family, a son is given. And the responsibility of the government will rest on his broad shoulders. Uh, in fact, all the governments of all the peoples of the world will ultimately recognize him as their one true foundation for the earth is his and he belongs to all of us. Uh, he will be the physical embodiment of the I am, the God who defies description. And in an attempt to define the indefinable, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase and expansion of his kingdom and government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign initially from David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on into the eternal now. The passionate zeal of the uh, Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's like Jesus saying, where two or more gathered together, there I am in the midst of you. I can, I can only know God to a certain degree without you. I have to have you in my life because the word didn't just become me. The word also became you. So when the word is in our flesh, together we have a manifestation of the Christ. Why am I saying all that? I'm saying, should you work on self-improvement? Sure. Should you become the best version of yourself? Absolutely. But never hate yourself. Never think there's anything wrong with you. Whatever you perceive is wrong with you is just the part of you that's not finished yet. But uh, I just think this whole thing is a perfect storm today. I was already thinking about ministering along those lines, and then I read what you wrote, and I thought, that's it. That's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. It's you be you. And you celebrate Christmas however or not. However, if you want to say happy holidays, don't make somebody else fit into your idea of Christmas. Nope. Just because somebody else is doing it different doesn't mean they're doing it wrong. I went to see, I'm, I'm coming to a close, but I went, uh, yesterday I went to see Spielberg's new movie. It's called uh, Meet the Fablemans. And it's basically his story. It's his story about how he grew up. And, um, but it doesn't say Meet the Spielbergs, but it's, it's, it, it's very well done. And there's no villains in the story. Because the story is very much about his mother falling in love with his dad's best friend and actually leaving his his dad for the best friend and he shows the you know what what goes through what the family goes through but there's there's no villains in the story i mean it's like his point is this is who everybody was and they were just becoming self-actualized and the one thing that was really stood out to me is the dad was kind of like a genius he was er, er, in the early developments of computers moved to, before it was Silicon Valley, he moved there, and this would have been like in the late 50s. He was very, he didn't invent computers, but he did a lot with um, perfecting them. And uh, he wasn't against his son being a filmmaker, but he just didn't get it, and he thought of it as a hobby. In other words, like, you're, um, this is a, a, a sweet little hobby, but at some point you need to grow out of this and really get a job where you can make some money. I don't know, have any of y'all ever heard of Jaws or The Color Purple or uh, E.T. or uh, Schindler's List? What's the dinosaur one? Jurassic Park. I hardly think, I mean, pretty much when you think of director at this point now you think of S steven spielberg not just uh commercially but critically acclaimed as well and uh he did all right and it wasn't like he was traumatized by his dad not getting it. he just showed that you know his dad never fully grasped it that's why i always say bring up a child in the way he should go or she should go <laughs> we we were talking about it at uh dinner jared was gone but i had dinner with judah and jonah and we were we were christina's name came up and judah said is christina in spain what what that's where she went for thanksgiving why didn't she come home i said you know what she's just my daughter 
that's where she chose to be. I'm like, have a good time. I, you know, it would been easy for me to call her and say, what the hell are you going to Spain for? If you got a plane ticket, fly here. Well, Thanksgiving with us. That's what she opted to do. Believe me, if I'd gone to Spain for Thanksgiving, my mom would have called me 17 times uh, every, every hour. Uh, and, and I would have, you know, finally got on a plane and come back home. Uh, I'm like, well, you know what? That was her choice. Enjoy Spain. We'll see you when we see you. I don't know. Do you all have adult kids that kind of do their own thing? You know what it's like when you finally make peace with them and say, Namaste. This is who you are. I'm, I've done all I can do to guide you and maybe the way you should go. Go with God. What's that got to do with Christmas? Because the Word became them too. The Word became your kids who don't do everything exactly like you would like. Oh, now see, I was preaching good, so I went, I went to meddling. Some of you were like, Bishop, you were in the zone until you, got, until you said that, because them kids are wrong. Well, you don't know they're wrong. They may be wrong through your paradigm of what's right and wrong. My, my dad, to the day he, uh, as long as he was lucid, never could understand why I would want to live downtown. Never got it. I can't tell you many times he would say, you know, whenever you're ready to let that place go, you can just move upstairs. Uh, I'll just charge you $100 a month. You all can live there. And I, I remember it was one of the last conversations we had when he was still lucid. I said, Dad, I mean, I, I don't mind coming in here and helping you out, but I don't want to sell my house. I, I love where I live. And he, like, he just could not get his head around it. Like, with all the homeless people and the traffic, I'm like, yeah. And every time I hear, I won't mention who I just heard got their car stolen out of the driveway in Conyers, but every time I hear somebody having crime out in the suburbs, I'm like, that's why you ought to live in the city where it's safe. <clears throat> There's a lot of shooting going on in the city, but they ain't shooting me. They're shooting each other. Coming out of clubs at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's like, yeah, you know, y'all figure it out. My, my place is safe, but I live where I want to live. You get baby to live downtown. I didn't invite you. Not cutting you a check. Didn't even ask you to visit. I did ask you to come here, and you've been coming here for nigh unto nine years now. And the part of me that loves the word loves that about you. Thank you that the Word has become flesh and dwells among us. Let's all stand. Did you get anything out of this today? It was weak. <laughs> Please remain standing and we'll, uh, we'll play the outro if we can. Contributing to Metron is quick and easy. You can give any time using any smartphone. Text the amount you'd like to donate to 404 620 5044. You will then receive a notification that you successfully completed your donation. You may also visit bishopthenow.com and click the support tab to give there as well. When you contribute to Metron, you're also donating to the charity or organization of the month. Thank you for your investment into Metron. Uh, if you have a check, make it to JESM and Danny will receive that back there in the back. If you have cash, just pay it forward. You want to bless someone, you might want to bless Jonah or bless somebody else or uh, take somebody to lunch. Uh, I'm hoping to see you on the 17th. We're going to have an excellent time. Whatever time you get there will be fine. There's, you don't have to be stressed out about a start time. Corey will probably start playing, I'm thinking, 8-ish. So, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be really loose, but it looks, it's going to be a really good time, all right? So, but if I don't see you, I hope you have a, a very Merry Christmas and that you remember what Christmas is all about. Because, yes, it's about Jesus, but Jesus would tell you it's about you. He came to reveal you to you. Amen? God bless you. Go in peace. The angel of the Lord who camps around about you. If I don't see you Christmas, I'll see you in 2023.